Turn to Psalm 1, the very first psalm. I suspect that most of you are familiar with Psalm 1. Last Sunday we had a sermon on giving our time and our money to serving the Lord. And this Sunday we will see some similar themes as we look at Psalm 1. There's an emphasis on spending time meditating on God's Word and the sweet results of that work, that work of meditation. On the flip side, you also have the wicked man and the consequences for the wicked man are not good, whereas the the joy and the blessing for the righteous man that gives himself to God's law and to studying it and to dwelling on it is beautiful and sweet. That contrast between the righteous man and the wicked man is all through the Psalms. And it's not something that is limited to David or to the Old Testament or to some different dispensation. This is something that we see in our own lives today. And so this psalm is an encouragement and a warning to each of us here today. So would you please stand as we read God's word? Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you've ever heard this psalm, taught on, or if you've ever heard anybody preach on this psalm, you've probably, or maybe if you've read anything about this psalm, you've probably heard people mention that there's a progression right at the beginning of this psalm. And the progression is from walking to standing to sitting. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that progression talked about. A few of you, okay. Maybe it's not as common as I thought. That progression is important for us to note because it's, it's describing the, the, uh, the direction that we go as we go into sin. It's, it's a gradual sort of thing. You understand? It's not, uh, it's not something that happens immediately that you're all the way into sin generally. Usually what happens is as we as we spend time listening to those who hate God, we're drawn in from just happening to be walking by them 
to stopping and standing and talking with them to then sitting down with them and plotting with them what evil we're going to do. Now, <clears throat> there's wicked counsel everywhere. There's no end to the amount of counsel that is just completely devoid of anything godly. It has a semblance of wisdom, of earthly wisdom, uh, but it lacks any understanding that God is the creator. It lacks any understanding that he has placed demands upon us, his law. And so the moment that we lose sight of God's law, we have no defenses against walking, standing, and even sitting among the ungodly. On the flip side, if we give ourselves to studying his word, to recognizing and understanding what it means, to reading and studying his law, his word, that is a protection against being drawn aside by those who are counseling wickedness, by those who are standing in the path of sinners, by those who scoff at God's word. So, I say the the world is full of it, and immediately when I say the word wicked counsel, what comes to my mind is marriage advice, counsel, right? Because a lot of times pastors are doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling, and I went to a wedding yesterday, and and so there's, there's marriage advice everywhere you turn. There's, there's relationship advice everywhere you turn. And, and generally, I think it's called relationship advice now because marriage is not as common. So relationship advice covers whether you're dating or in a long-term relationship or whether you're, whatever you are, you know. Relationship advice is the whole big umbrella. Most of the relationship advice that's out there is terrible. There's, there's relationship advice. You, you, can't, you can't get on the internet without getting relationship advice. You guys rec- recognize this, right? You know, you, uh, it, it just doesn't matter. Uh, if you read the news, they're telling you what you should and shouldn't do in your relationship. I'm, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's all of these men right now who are being accused of various sexual sin, abuse of those who are underneath them in one way or another. And it's so ironic because the media is making it out to be this big deal that, that they take very seriously and that they hate, right? What happened when Mike Pence, it was revealed that he didn't eat lunch alone with another woman? They mocked him. That's relationship advice. You get that? That's relationship advice to you about what you should and shouldn't do. And it will destroy your marriage. 
to follow the world's counsel. So they have relationship advice that has nothing to do with God. They have marriage advice that has nothing to do with God. They have all kinds of advice, and, and relationships are just the, the one area that popped first into my mind as I was thinking about this. We've got all these pithy little sayings that are the, the, the summary when you've, when you've read the book and it's all boiled down. It comes down to this, you know, these few words. Um, and some of my favorites that I've seen that are terrible. Uh, so not favorites. Opposite of favorites, whatever that is. Are, uh, you be you. You do you. Th- those two are astoundingly bad advice. Okay? No, don't, don't do you. Learn to do, not you. That's what the Bible says, because what the Bible says is you, in your nature, are sinful. You have original sin. You don't want to be you. You want to be not you. And so, don't do you. You do Jesus. Be Jesus. That's what we're called to as Christians. If you're a Christian... You have been given a new heart so that you can do and be something other than you. That's beautiful. That's a sweet promise. It's totally contrary to the world's counsel. Don't stand there listening to that crap. Don't walk with it. And don't certainly sit down and study it in those stupid books that are at, well, they're everywhere. You know, they're at Sam's, they're at Walmart, they're advertised on the sidebar while you're on the internet. They're at Walgreens under Christian in the little stand that rotates, you know what I'm talking about? And every day you've got a devotional that's like three sentences long and most of them are, you do you, you be you. It's junk. The world is filled with this kind of counsel, Okay. And it's counsel that totally rejects God, totally rejects his word. In spite of the fact that there's always truth bound up in the world's counsel, right? There's always some nugget that seems very good, that seems very helpful. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, Satan in the garden said to Eve, has God really said you can't eat any of the trees? Well, he knew what God had said, and he knew to include enough of what God said there to get the conversation started, right? But in the end, it switched very quickly to the outright lie. You will not surely die. And the counsel that comes from the world always includes these nuggets of partial truth, these, these little twisted, just enough, but sounds good. And then there's the statement. There's the promise. And that's where the, that's where if you've already been sitting and listening, if you've already been walking 
along, if you already sat down with them and, and began to wrap your mind around what they're saying and, and become convinced by the, the first little part, then when the big whammy of a lie comes, you're, you're already done for. You're already done for. And the big whammy of the lie is, you know, for relationship advice, it's like, um, you know, it's that you need to live together before you're married. That that's the only way to guarantee that your marriage will succeed. The lie is blatant. Even the secular studies know that that's the worst thing you can do for a marriage, if you want a marriage to last. But they don't have any problem just dropping that big lie right on your head. Boom, here's the lie. What's your defense? What's your defense? God's law is your defense. If you know what God has said, if you believe his word, that lie, you won't buy it for a heartbeat. Not for an instant. But you don't have to follow the advice to be affected by it. That's why I've spent all this time talking about how it's everywhere, it's all around us. You know, um, I'm getting all my social media networks confused in my, in my mind right now. Uh, let's see. Pinterest. Pinterest is the one for you to tag art and crafts, right? That's what it's for. And also, it overlaps with Instagram in that both of them are used for tagging pretty pictures that have nice sayings on them that are inspirational, right? Okay, am I getting my social networks right? I have had a Pinterest account at one point just so that I could look and see. I actually have an Instagram account, I think, and then Facebook. Facebook is, I mean, what is it? It's, it's filled with the world's counsel. It's, it's anything that, that pops into anybody's mind. If you're on these things, you're in the world, and it's affecting you, right? Now, now my, my point here today is not to say you have to come out of the world. That's exactly what Paul says we don't have to do, right? And yet, we may not stand or walk or sit and marinate in the filth, right? And so, uh, it can be scary for me to say that you will, be, you will be affected by the wicked advice, the wicked counsel, the, uh, the lies of the wicked man. All right? It can be scary for me to say that. Uh, it's especially scary. You know, we, all, we always like to think that our age is particularly bad. I think that's a ongoing thing. It's Just so you know, it's always been the case that people think that their age is particularly bad. So you're, you're in good company 
in thinking that your age is particularly bad. Everybody has always thought their age was particularly bad. But there are differences, right? And today, one of the differences is that all of the walking and standing and sitting, you don't even have to get up out of your easy chair to do it. It comes into your home in a way that the counsel of the wicked didn't have the ability to before, let's, let's work our way back. Okay, so like Instagram and then Pinterest and then Facebook and then a little bit further back, the printing press. Newspapers were over here, right? They came in, but the printing press. And then, before that, eh, you're only, the only people who came into your home, the only news, the only information that came into your home, the only counsel and advice that came into your home was people who you invited into your home. It's not like there were, that everybody had books. It's not like there was a daily newspaper coming. It's not like you had Facebook coming at you every 30 seconds, 0.3 seconds. And so, yeah, that's changed. And that has to, that we have to recognize that that is a change that means something for us. Should you be feeding on filth on the Internet? No. No. Do you want to be affected by the dissatisfaction that the world is preaching to you through social media? No. Do you want to believe the lies of Satan? No. Okay, so don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. Your time, remember I said this theme was coming back. Your time is essential to this fight. Where you spend your time will make all the difference in the world. Verse 2, the man that's blessed is not the one who does all of his time in this stuff but rather the one whose time goes where? Day and night, he's meditating on God's law. Day and night, he's checking Facebook. Day and night, he's, she's pinning new things that she can do. Day and night, the blessed man is meditating on God's law. And that is his delight. What delights you? What delights you? All these, you remember I said we've got these pithy phrases, if you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. That one comes from a movie. But I mean, it's a perfect Stand in for our philosophy, right? Well, you know, you take care of you. If you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. Well, if that's what you believe, there's no place in your faith in your for, for suffering in your life. But the Bible doesn't say that. Either 
your time and your delight are coming from God's law or going to God's law or something else. And if it's something else, I guarantee you that it will be perverted. It will, per- it will twist what is good and what is holy and what is true, what you're supposed to be giving yourselves to. Nowhere is this more clear than in conservative, Christian, reformed, homeschooling families where the children become the thing that is the delight to the parents, particularly to the mothers. When that happens, it becomes perverse. Have you seen this? Do you understand the danger of it? When the philosophy that you're buying into is saying that your children are the most important thing in the world, that they are the thing you have to delight in above all else, it is the exact same as all of the other idols that the world is preaching. And we can feel really good about ourselves because that's not the idol that the world is preaching. The world says children are worthless. But does the world actually say that children are worthless? No, actually. I had to pay more taxes this year. Here I am standing and receiving the benefit of it in the school, right? Our culture takes children very, very seriously. Over in Indiana, they were, uh, they were working on getting uh, full-day preschool started. Four-year-olds. <clears throat> Public, right? Uh, why? Why do they do that? Is it because they hate children? No, it's because they see the value and importance of children. Children are the future, right? How different are we? The moment we begin to idolize children, we have become the world. We have become exactly, we will make exactly the same mistakes. We may make them in a totally different place. You may make those mistakes at home, right? But you're going to make exactly the same mistakes because it's the exact same philosophy. The only way that we are freed from those sorts of lies, those sorts of temptations, that sort of sin is through God's law. God's law is filled with truth. God's truth is in God's law. And so either we are tearing down worldly philosophies, as Paul says we're to do, right? Or what? Or we're marinating in them, and we don't realize it. Because they are always around. You are not going to escape hearing, seeing, feeling the pressures, the philosophies, the lies of Satan. They're everywhere. They're in your home. They're in your head. You have them memorized from the songs that you sing. Do you understand? 
they're all around us, our defense is God's law. We cannot be passive. We're not called to be passive. And part of what we need to do is begin to avoid them. Not standing, not walking. Not walking, standing, sitting. I always get that progression wrong. Not walking, not standing, not sitting. <clears throat> Until we stop giving our time and attention to wicked counsel, we cannot give our time to God's law. Remember what I said last week, your time is always filled. There's two ways of looking at it. One is that uh, you need to just positively fill it with good things, and that's true. But generally, because it's always filled already, if you're going to insert good things into your time, that's going to require you to do something first, which is what? Choose what you're going to cut. When I was a kid, I had a couple of friends that were very close neighbors, one door and two doors away, that were bad influences on me. I would... Um, walk and stand and sit with them. <clears throat> and the things that I learned to do from these, from these other young men, boys, not young men, boys, little boys like me, um, were to break windows and curse and... Um, and worse. And yet, God was gracious and protected me from becoming like them. Right? That's, that's a beautiful gift from God, but we don't play with fire. Right? When you uh, when you're reading somebody that you know has a poisonous lie at the end, everything that comes before that poisonous lie is setting you up to believe the poisonous lie. Right? And you, you think, I would never believe this, but I kind of like, this, this in-between stuff kind of makes me feel comfortable with myself, with the way I am. I like it. And what are you doing? Well, with a little kid, it's as easy as describing it as peer pressure, right? For me, it's like, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was yelling at the cars driving 20 miles an hour down Main Street. I didn't know what that hand gesture I was giving them meant. I didn't have the foggiest clue. It was bad. I found out. But I knew immediately that something was wrong. Because when else have I run down the street yelling things at cars? This wasn't something I was taught to do by my parents, right? And when else has my good friend 
old man so-and-so who likes me turned away <laughs> when he was driving down the street and saw me. Well, I think there's probably a problem here. We see the problems even when we're little kids. We know what we're doing is wrong, right? But we enjoy being able to go along up to a point and think that we're going to stop. The only way you fill it with good things, the only way you fill your time with meditating on God's law is if you stop meditating on the other things. Your dissatisfaction with, what is it? Your school, your relationship, your parents, your house, the amount of sleep that you've gotten. You fill your time dwelling on your dissatisfaction and you will always be what? Dissatisfied. And you will never be what? Delighted by God's law. You've got to cut out the one before you can fill it with the other. And then, if you do that, and this is the beautiful promise, you will be like a tree firmly planted. This is not a mental trick. The blessing that God promises here to the man who gives himself to dwelling, meditating on his law, delighting in it, is real. This is not something that you get by repeating a mantra, by convincing yourself against your better judgment, by... Uh, trying to force something down into your subconscious. It's not something that you get by centering yourself or by deep breathing. It's not something that you get by relaxing. The blessings of God come from meditating on his law. Delighting in his law. You actually end up blessed if you turn away from wicked men and give yourself to obeying what's in his word. Think about a tree. You've seen trees that are, you've seen pictures of trees that are way up on mountains, right? Up above the tree line, sometimes, you'll see a tree. And it's scraggly and short. It's bent, turned sideways with the wind, right? This is the picture of a tree that is not planted by deep, calm streams of water, right? But you've also seen the pictures, again on Pinterest, of the luxuriant tree with water behind it. It's overflowing. The weight just of its leaves is enough to bow down its branches. It is a beautiful, 
healthy. Did I say beautiful? Gorgeous. Tree. There it is. What does it have? It has plenty of water. It has all the nutrients it needs. It's it's sitting in the perfect place where it gets the right amount of cold so that it loses its leaves and it gets the right amount of heat. And the, it, Everything is perfect for that tree that, that you have on your motivational posters, right? That's the promise that you will have. Not a tree like that, but you will be that tree. You'll never run out of nutrients. You'll never run out of water. Think back to John. Jesus said that he was the living water to the woman at the well, right? That we would never thirst if we drink from him. You never run out. It's a well of water springing up to what? To eternal life. Have you ever had low blood sugar? Some of you have had low blood sugar. I remember when I was standing in the, uh, I was standing in the cafeteria in college. My roommate was standing next to me, and he was a diabetic. And uh, and I looked over at him, and he had on his tray he had the tub from the salad bar of butter on his tray. And he was standing there like dazed in a complete confusion. And I'm looking at him like, dude, that's a lot of butter. (laughs) Are you okay? He's obviously not okay, right? And I know what the problem is. He needs sugar. He needs sugar now. Thankfully, there's sugar everywhere. Orange juice and Coke and whatever. It was easy to solve this problem. But if you don't have God's law, you don't have the basic nutrients you need. Low blood sugar is one of those things that's like, it comes on quick, it goes away easy. You just get yourself a little bit of sugar and everything's fine. But have you ever been low on iron? Not so quick and easy to solve, right? Same kind of no energy. You are not thriving if you do not have as much iron as you need in your body. You guys know what this is like. Forget trees. (laughs) You, You know, your life is miserable when you don't have the energy that you need. But this goes so far beyond energy. We're not talking about iron and blood sugar. What are we talking about? We're talking about having the spiritual nourishment that is necessary for us. Don't be a spiritual anorexic. Don't live on as little food as you can. This is a problem in the physical world, it's a problem in your spiritual life. Be a glutton. 
Be a glutton for the food that God gives you that is his word. Eat as much as you can. It'll never make you feel sick. It'll never make you fat. It'll only ever give you exactly what you need. And you will be like that tree in that picture that you've got in your mind. Yielding fruit at the right time. Have you guys ever noticed this, that when you spend time reading God's Word, that then when you're in conversations with other people, you have something to say? I've noticed that as a pastor. It's sweet. It's the fruit right there. You know, hours, minutes maybe later, there is the fruit of having eaten. It's like one of those magical animations where, you know, the tree starts out as a seed in the ground and it's like super fast and it comes up and it grows and boom, and then there's leaves. And then at the very end of the animation, what happens? It's not like the fruit grows out. It's like, pop, then there was fruit. That's how quick it is. That's how easy it is. Do you want that joy? Do you want that blessing? This leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. It's not a trick. You will be blessed. The righteous man is blessed. On the other hand, we have the wicked. The wicked are not so. Are not what? Are not blessed. Are not like a tree. Do not have fruit. Are not planted firmly. Do not have the water they need. All of the blessings, all of the good, the wicked do not feed and dwell on and delight in God's law. And so, because of that, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. They have no anchor, no weight. They blow away. Their decisions blow away and fly back and forth. I know some of you are like me in that you are, you, you have a difficult time making decisions. That's putting it generously for myself. <clears throat> Why would you have a difficult time making a decision? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because you think it all relies on you to make the right decision. Unless you make the right decision, it's all going to go bad, bad. With the wicked, it doesn't matter what decision they make. It's going bad, bad. 
they will not receive the blessings that God has promised to his people. And that is a joy to us. And it's a joy to us because the wicked are a problem for us. Not the focus of this passage, but when you see that it says the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, that's meant to be a comfort to the blessed man. They're not going to be there. They're not going to be causing problems for you anymore. And so one of the things that we need to ask ourselves as we get to this verse is, are we happy with that? Does that give us joy or does it make us angry at God? That the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That sinners will not be in the assembly of the righteous. If it makes you mad, normally it's because there's one person in particular or some some people in particular that you're holding on to as more important than God, as more important than his law. Their way will perish. And so if you are angry that they won't be there, you're walking down their road. Do you see that? You're you're at least walking down the road with them. The righteous cannot be united with the wicked. But the way of the righteous, God knows. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to know your path? I mean, God knows everything, right? Isn't that one of those first catechism answers? You all know God knows everything, so of course he knows your path. In what way does God know the righteous man's path in a way that he doesn't know the wicked man's path? Well, it's talking about delighting in it. It's like watching your child recite her lines in the school play that you've practiced with her. Right? It's like watching your son throw the soccer ball right down the sideline like you've taught him. You know what she's saying. You know why she's saying it. You know she's saying it right. You know the lines. You know that it's good. You know where he's supposed to throw the ball. You can see the thoughts going through his mind. You, you, you know what's going on. You see him do it. It gives you delight when she gets the lines right. It gives you delight when he doesn't throw the ball into the middle of the field in front of the goal for the other team to score. Right? That gives you the opposite of delight. As a coach, it gives you conniptions. 
when I was coaching soccer, the last game of the season, the worst kid on the team started following every shot that our team took. He followed it in to the goal. This is something that I had driven into their heads week after week after week. If you take a shot, follow it. If somebody else takes a shot and you're there, follow it. Why do you follow it? Well, because especially at this age, there's mistakes every time you turn around. The ball is going to be sitting there in front of the goal. And if somebody would just follow it, they could kick it in and you'd score. The worst kid on the team, the final game of the year, all of a sudden it was like, that kid's following the ball in every time. And I turned to my assistant, I said, he's going to score. It was like three minutes later he scored. I knew what he was doing. I, I knew his way. Every time I saw Jack shot, Fred's following it in. It's exactly what he's supposed to do. This will end well. (laughs) This is what it means for God to know the righteous man's way. He's given us his law. What does his law tell us? It tells us what to do. When the Lord knows your way, it's because you're walking in what he taught you. He's seen you delighting in it enough that you're actually finally doing it. And if you, you know, if you're five years old, six years old, and you do it simply because you want your coach's approval, which is generally what's going on, or maybe your dad's approval. In this case, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was, uh, uh, his, $1,000 per goal that his dad had told him before this game he would give him. He, there was no way in the world this kid was ever going to score a goal. He'd, he'd never even come close to scoring a goal. Well, how much was it? $400. He said, yeah, my dad told me. Took him off for a break. My dad told me he'd give me $400 if I scored a goal. <laughs> so maybe this kid was doing it for the money. I don't know. He never listened before that game. So, But generally, kids... At that age, you're just doing it for the, for the approval of coach, for the approval of dad, for the approval of mom. Why do they want to do well in the school play? Because you want them to do well. Right? If, that's, if, if we're willing to do that, How about we obey God's law? If we obey God's law, we don't just get his approval. We get all of the blessings that are described in this psalm. God knows our way when we follow his law. And if we follow his law, then we will be doing the good deeds that he has prepared, prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. These are wonderful, wonderful promises. And it gives him delight. And boy, I'll tell you what, 
when you have God's approval and delight resting on you, are you going to be happy? Are you going to be joyful? Is it going to feel good? It is. It's wonderful. It's sweet. It's like honey, like candy. But if you don't have his approval, it's miserable. And whatever you do doesn't prosper. And it doesn't matter whether you made whether you were trying to do something good. God knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Those are the paths. Those are the only two paths. And so in that way, I think that the progression that we see at the beginning of the psalm is actually reversed. That you start out sitting, and then you stand up, and then you start walking down the path. And there's only two paths. Only two ways you can go. You can go towards God in obedience to his command, according to his law, delighting in it, and receiving his blessing. Or you can walk away from him. And every step you take makes you more miserable. Every step you take takes you closer to judgment and to perishing. That way lies death. But walking according to God's law is life. Let's pray.